Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 1. If not, you can read it off the wall. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here this morning. Thankful for your grace and mercy. Thankful, Lord, that you have counted us as your children, uh, that you decided to bless us and to fill us with your presence. And now we thank you for the word of God that brings us hope and brings us life. Speak to us powerfully through your word, and may you be glorified above all things, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. And also, thank you, Ryan, and for everybody who led in worship here this morning. We broke out a classic, The Potter's Ham, which I think was requested by Ryan Williams, who is not in the sanctuary. Say a word. But I think he's over there protecting the children from Steve Huffman. So um, wants to make sure that Steve doesn't bull rush the building over there. Uh, but uh, that's a powerful song. I really, I really like that song. 1997. Are you allowed to sing a song from 1997? Amen. You did a good job, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a powerful song. Well, I remember doing that song in youth and... Uh, crying and slobbering all over myself. All right, uh, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, it says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. There's a lot that I could actually preach about this sermon. What what I want to focus on this morning is what I've entitled Advancement in Adversity. Uh, If we're all honest... Uh, most of us would say that we are not people who look for adversity. How many of you would agree with me on, on that? We don't, we don't really look for adversity. I don't see a lot of us out here don't enjoy pain. Hence, why not running is more fun than running. Right? We're not people who look out for pain. We don't find ourselves running to situations that make us uncomfortable. We even avoid situations that we know many times might be a challenge. And all of us, if you will admit, all of us have avoided people because it's easier to avoid them than it is to talk to them. Have you ever been in a mall or in a store someplace and hidden behind the rack? You didn't see them coming, right? You didn't see them coming. So you turned your head the other way, just hoping that they didn't recognize the back of your head, right? We all have people in our lives that way. We all have situations that we avoid, or at least we try to avoid because we don't like to be uncomfortable. We are a people who enjoy comfort, right? We got comfortable pews. Some of you are freezing here this morning, but it's normally pretty cool in here. You know, last week it was hot because one of the air conditioners didn't work. Now we got that baby working, and we've decided to freeze you out of the building, right? There's never that a happy medium. <laughs> uh, but we, re- we, recognize, we recognize that we are people of comfort. But we know, that, we know in reality that, that, that adversity is avo- unavoidable. No matter, no matter where you go or what you're doing, in any area of life, ad- adversity is 
something that we cannot avoid. We, we cannot fully function in the world if we don't realize that challenges and obstacles and adversity are going to be a part of it. If we are consistently trying to, to stay away from obstacles and challenges and adversity in our life, then we can't live. We would basically have to be hermits to stay away from this. And honestly, as Christians, just understanding the reality that we are in a spiritual war every day of our life should remind us that circumstances are not always going to be favorable towards us. We have to recognize that life is not always going to come along and pat us on the back and tell you, good job, little guy. Right? Life's not always going to come along and, 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 and show you that everything is, is wonderful. Warriors recognize that we, we cannot stay away from fights. Warriors recognize that faith is never afraid to fight. Faith is never afraid to face obstacles and challenges and hindrances. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that God has given us a fighting spirit. We started out the year talking about how we need to be uh, diligent, diligent in our walk, diligent in, in our pursuit of God, diligent in, in standing in faith. Because the reality of it is, is that as we move closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that the adversity is only going to intensify. And so we have to make sure that we are rooted and grounded in this reality. Paul uses the reality of adversity in his life as a reason to rejoice instead of a reason to complain. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. How many of you would agree that that needs to be on your refrigerator? Right? That needs to be taped to the forehead of some of our own friends. Right? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Paul uses his adversity to rejoice. The book of Philippians itself is a testimony of Paul's gospel attitude in the face of hard circumstances. Where does Paul write this letter from? Prison. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. So Paul's not writing in a vacuum over some ivory tower or for some mansion on a hill when he tells the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. He's writing from a prison cell. Paul's not writing from a place of comfort and ease when he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How many of you know it's not hard to say that when you're laying on the beach? If you're hanging out on the beach staring at the ocean, you're like, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Or when you're sitting on a mountain or when you're, when you're drinking coffee or when, when everything's going well and the bills are paid and the, and the checks are coming in and, and everybody feels good and you, everything's going great in life, we all come to church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But Paul doesn't write from that position. <laughs> Paul doesn't write from a place where someone is giving him a massage and feeding him grapes. He's writing from a prison and says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And the crazy thing is, and this is what we must all recognize about Paul and his life and about Christianity in general. Paul is here, or Paul is in this prison because he decided to live obedient to the call of God on his life. Paul is in prison because of his obedience to Jesus. Not because he avoided it. Not because he compromised when things got hard. 
Not because he, he decided that I'm going to fit in with everybody else, but because he decided to stick out like a sore thumb. His obedience had led him to this place of adversity. I'm reminded of, of Jesus when the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by God, or tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit didn't try to give him a detour. The, the, the Spirit didn't try to sh- tell him to get off at this exit. How many of you have ever misunderstood this exit and next exit? There's a comedian that, that tells a joke about he and his girlfriend breaking up, and they were like, wow, did something horrible happen? And he said, I don't know. We, didn't, we couldn't decide on the difference between this exit and the next exit. She said, get off at this next exit. So I got off. Or she said, get off at the next exit. So I got off the exit. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting off here to get a dictionary so we can look up the meaning of words. Lots of times, lots of times, we're looking for the exit to get off. We're looking for the exit to get out of the way. But Paul rejoiced in the fact that he found himself in his position. Remember when he stood before King Agrippa? He says, I, King, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I stand before you here today simply because I was obedient to the heavenly vision. Paul has no naive idea of a pie-in-the-sky kind of Christianity. We don't like to talk about it, but Paul does not shy away from talking about suffering. He doesn't shy away about talking about the purpose of God being fulfilled in us when we are going through hard times. In chapter 3, he prays that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Why? That he might become like Jesus in his death so that he might experience the power of the resurrection. James echoes this reality when he tells us to count it all joy when we fall into trials of various kinds. Why? Because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance that results in maturing and lacking nothing in our character. It brings us to a place of the fullest satisfaction and fulfillment. Peter preaches the same sermon when he tells his readers that we shouldn't be surprised when fiery trials come and test our faith as if something strange was happening to us. I think that phrase is so funny. Peter's like, what are you whining about? What did you think was going to happen? Why do you think this fiery trial is so strange? He encourages us to rejoice because we get to share in Christ's suffering that leads us to sharing in Christ's glory. I know it's not always comfortable for us to hear the fact because we are faith people, but there are times in our life that we are going to go through trials. We are going to go through battles. We are going to go through hard times. And yes, there are some who are even going to face suffering. This world is broken. And because of that, Sin exists, and because of that, suffering exists, problems exist. People get on your nerves. That's the only amen I got from all of you. I was on a roll there, and you didn't amen me until I talked about people. Right? Jesus himself told us that we are blessed, blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That we are blessed when we are reviled and others utter all kinds of evil against us falsely because of the cause of Christ. Let me be honest with you. As Christians, 
This is a warning to us as westernized Christians, as Christians who live in the United States of America, whose biggest problem that we have is that they got our order wrong at McDonald's. There, not, that I'm, not that Natalie would ever mess up, but there's a certain girl in the drive-thru, it's not Natalie, who no matter what size I order, it comes out as a large. I try to get Avery a chicken nugget meal. He doesn't need a gallon of orange Fanta. Every time. We recognize that, 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 it, that in America we, we have first world problems. But Jesus said, blessed if you are persecuted, blessed if you are reviled. I think in the United States, really, half the time, the only people that suffer this kind of stuff are people that play sports. I feel sorry for some people that play sports. I mean, Jared Dagey, that poor guy. My goodness gracious, he was reviled and spoken of. And then he went off to Troy, and he doesn't even start. They're they're talking. West Virginia fans are still talking trash about it, which I know Thursday was a heartbreak for everyone. We should have won that game, but thank God we were persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right? Jesus said when we are persecuted, when we are reviled, the promise is the very kingdom of heaven itself. Folks, this is the attitude of faith. The attitude of faith says I don't serve Jesus only when times are good. I don't serve Jesus so that I will never see hard times. The fact is, nothing worth having in life has come without some level of adversity. And anything worth having is worth fighting for. Our faith and hope is not based on circumstances or feelings. If it is, it's shallow at best. If our faith is based upon how we feel or the circumstances around us, then we have a shallow faith. At best. Our faith is based on the person of Jesus Christ. It's faith. It's based on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It's based on the promises of his word in the midst of adversity. It's based upon the commandments that God has placed upon our lives. It's based upon the calling of God and knowing that what God wants for us is better than anything the world can offer us. This is what our faith is based upon. So the attitude is faith is come what may. Whatever fiery trial, whatever persecution, whatever I have to stand against, my faith is built in nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. It's not built upon how I feel or whether or not someone likes me or or how easy it is to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Count the cost. Recognize that following Christ is not always easy, but it is the path to joy. It is the path to satisfaction. It is the path to fulfillment. That's why Paul could say rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. Man, I guarantee you the prison guards walk by Paul's cell all the time and say, that guy's a nutbag. Right? This guy's crazy. He's always smiling and he's in prison. What's wrong with this guy? This is the attitude of faith. It's based upon Jesus, based upon his promise. And Paul exemplifies this attitude of faith. Throughout his life, Paul went through some tough stuff. 
he, he gives a list of it in Corinthians. He gives, he, he gives us a list of, of, of what he had gone through, how many times he was beaten with rods, how many times he was whipped, how many times he was stoned, how many times he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he's been in prison, he's, he's had a lot, he's had little. He even tells the Philippians, I've learned in whatever place I find myself in, therein I will be content. And if, if there was one thing that a mission trip taught me is that you have to learn how to be content in some uncomfortable situations. Did I ever tell you all the story about me trying to escape? I was, we were sleeping on a houseboat in, in the Amazon, and I was sleeping in a hammock over top of a bunch of teenagers sleeping on the floor and blow up rafts, and I woke up freezing to death. So I needed a blanket. Well, my blanket was in the closet, but everybody was lined up on the floor, so I couldn't open the closet. So I'm like, I've got a towel on, a towel on top of the boat that was drying from where we had just taken a bath in the mud hole called the Amazon River. So I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this hammock because everybody's on the floor? Well, there was a beam over top of me on the ceiling, so I grabbed the beam and shimmied out (laughs) over top of the kids sleeping on the floor. I could hear... I shimmied over to the door, dropped down, and went out. So I went up, I knew my, my, you know, remember, you're in the Amazon, there aren't lights, there's not big cities out here, we're going from village to village, the only light out there was the light on top of the houseboat. So I crawled to the top of the houseboat and was about to step out on it to go get my towel, and I noticed there was a sea of insects just crawling over top of each other, because they'd all packed around that one single light out in the middle of the Amazon River. And I said, you know what, I'll just be cold. So I went down to the engine room and sat beside the engine and warmed up a little bit. One thing that, 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 we, te- you know, that we learn from Paul's life, Paul, Paul even told the Philippians, listen, folks, I've learned to have a lot. I've learned to have not much. I've learned to be in abundance and I've learned to be in hunger. But I've learned this one thing. I'm content wherever I find myself. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This was Paul's attitude of faith. And even though he went through some tough stuff in his life that some of us will never imagine to even face, at the end of it, he still considers the purpose and calling of God as the greatest honor upon his life. That what he faced for the cause of Christ was worth the beauty of knowing Jesus. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong in the pursuit of Christianity. If all we do is pursue Christianity because the rules tell us to, and we don't pursue who Jesus is, then we don't recognize the beauty of what we've been called to do. Here in this passage, Paul makes some amazing statements. Remember, he's in prison, but I want you to see his attitude of faith. He begins by telling them that what has happened to him has served to advance the gospel. See, Paul always had this gospel-first mentality. Paul's primary purpose or priority in his life was the purpose of God. Now, you've got to remember if you, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were in prison and they sang the songs of praise and their chains fell off and the, and the, the jailer got saved, where was that? That was in Philippi. A Philippian jailer was the one who said, what must I do to be saved? So the Philippians have seen God move in a powerful way in Paul's life. So there is probably a possibility that the Philippian Christians are thinking, why is Paul in prison? Why would God let this happen? God got him out of prison at one point in time. God, and, and the fact of the matter is, 
because he got out of prison in, in, in Philippi is what allowed him to end up uh, going to Rome. Paul had been delivered miraculously, but he wanted the Philippians to realize that God's power and blessings were still with him, even though he was in prison. He wanted them to realize that we, that no matter where we find ourselves, what situation or how God moves in our life, right? Because don't, don't, most of us have a picture of how we want God to do it, don't we? We have a picture of how we want God to do it. We do it to our kids too, don't we? Anytime you're teaching them something, you're like, you're doing it wrong, right? Because they're not doing it the way you would do it. And lots of times we, we try to treat God that way. You're not doing it the way I want you to do it. The Philippians are like, surely Paul's going to get out of jail. But Paul wanted to remind them, listen, no matter where I find myself, no matter where I find myself, God is still at work. God is still blessing my life. Even though he was bound, the word of God is not bound. Paul was not out of the will of God. And God's work was still happening. Folks, you cannot stop the power of the gospel. You cannot stop the purpose of God. We too must make the gospel and the work of God our top priority. Paul didn't tell them that he was being advanced. He told them that the gospel is being advanced. He didn't care whether he was being advanced. All he cared was for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must not be afraid of the adversity that comes because we can still see God advance his purpose even when our circumstances don't seem to be good. How many of you have seen God still work in your life even when the circumstances aren't the way you'd like for them to be? So he begins by telling them, what's happened to me that I should be discouraged about, that I should be whining about, that I should be complaining about, has actually led to the furtherance of the gospel. Secondly, he even tells them that the imperial guard is infected by his imprisonment. Now think about that for a minute. These guards, who are obviously in authority and in in influence, are over Paul. But they are impressed by this prisoner. Even the palace guard could see that the circumstances surrounding Paul's imprisonment made him no ordinary prisoner. They could see that he was here because of an unwavering faith in Jesus and his commitment to the gospel. His attitude of unflinching faith in the midst of adversity was a sermon in itself to those who were meant to guard him. It led to the conversion of some of the palace guard. In other words, Paul wasn't even preaching a sermon to these guards. His life was a sermon. His faith was a sermon. His attitude and his praise was a sermon to the palace guard. You know, folks, it's hard to let the light of God shine in our life when people look at us and we don't see that our faith even affects who we are. How can we tell people to come to the cross when we haven't even crucified our own selves, right? How can we point people to the beauty of Jesus when we're ugly? We got ugly attitudes and ugly words and, 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 and we, 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 we approach things in an ugly way. Paul's life was so dedicated to the gospel and the reality of its truth that the, the guards who were meant to be over him were convicted and drawn to Christ. Paul 
could serve and bring glory to God in the middle of adverse situations. He didn't need things to be easy for him to still be fruitful. How we respond to the trials of life is a sermon in herself. Our attitude of faith will point others to the reality of the one whom we trust to be with us through the fire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul writes this, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Paul is basically saying, here's how we prove that we are ministers of God. Here's how we do this. That in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, he goes on and leads lists the whole things of, of battles that he's had to face. What is Paul saying in this passage of Scripture? He's saying that we prove that we are ministers of the gospel. We prove that we are actually people of faith because we still have patience in afflictions, necessities, and distresses. That people literally see the gospel at work in our lives when we are faced with adversity, but we can still lift our hands and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will lift my hands and say I rejoice because the gospel is still being advanced by my life. The imperial guard is affected by his presence. And then he tells them that his chains have brought others confidence. Paul's joy-filled disposition encouraged other believers who were not in prison to be bold in proclaiming the word of God. Why? Because they saw that Paul could rejoice... First of all, no matter where he found himself. So here they are being encouraged, inspired by this crazy evangelist who doesn't care that he's in prison and continues to rejoice because the gospel is being spread. So these folks that are not in prison said, hey, I can do this. If Paul can get through it, I can get through it. They saw that God could still take care of Paul no matter where he was. And that's something we've got to get down in our own spirits. They saw that, he, that Paul could still be effective and be used by God while in prison. Folks, God is everywhere and working at all times. Our faith may be the very reason that someone else makes it through. You hear what I'm saying? These people, these, these folks that were not in prison, they had got a new boldness, a new courage, a new fervency to share the gospel because of Paul's testimony. Because of Paul's life, because Paul had faced adversity, Paul faced the hard times of life, and he still rejoiced, and he still rejoiced that the gospel was being sent. And, And think about this, folks. While he's in prison, he writes Philippians, he writes Ephesians, and he writes Colossians. God doesn't waste our time. God uses us where we find ourselves. And lots of times that's why we are dissatisfied in life. Because we're always waiting to be somewhere else. We're always waiting to be someone else. We're always waiting to have something else. Well, when I get to this point, then I'll serve God. Or when I get to this point, then I'll do this. Or when I have this, then maybe I can do this. But God doesn't waste where we are. God is just looking for us to be obedient where we are. And that's what they saw in Paul. And folks, your faith, your faith, Your stand of faith is what might help someone who's thinking about quitting, thinking about giving up, thinking about living in fear instead of faith. Your testimony might be what helps somebody get through. 
because you decided to continue to smile in the face of adverse situations. Finally, Paul's priority is the advancement of the gospel, not himself. Paul even tells the Philippians that there's people out there preaching the gospel, some with honorable motives and some with selfish motives. But for him, what mattered was that Christ was being proclaimed. Paul's focus was always the gospel, always the message of Jesus. He recognized that, hey, there's some folks out there who who have a desire to preach Jesus out of love and out of grace and because the calling of God's on their life. And then there's some people out there who are preaching the gospel for selfish ambition. I don't know if y'all have ever seen anybody like that. But there are people out there that use the gospel to find a way to make sure that they get some money in their pocket. They're selfish ambition. They're serving God for other reasons other than the true honorable reason of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something here. Paul Paul is rejoicing because even though some people's motives were wrong, at least they were motivated. At least they were motivated. And the gospel was being preached. So what Paul was rejoicing about was not their ungodly motives. He was preaching. He was excited because Christ being proclaimed. People are hearing about the gospel. So it's not the messenger It was the message that he was rejoicing about. See, in Galatians, in Galatians, it's just the opposite. In in Galatians, he's like, hey, the messengers look like they got it all together, but their message is from hell. Don't listen to them, right? Don't listen to them. I'm not rejoicing over them because their message is wrong. Their message is causing you to get off track. But these bozos over here that are preaching the gospel because they think they've got some type of competitive advantage over me, then then we recognize, hey, I don't care what their motive is, folks are hearing about Jesus. That's what I rejoice about. Here's what he gives. He gives a warning in this. While still rejoicing, there were some that felt they were in competition with Paul. They saw Paul's imprisonment as a way to gain some competitive advantage over him. You know, last Sunday, Scott Hinkle preached, and, and, and he was in here, and he was back in the, in the sanctuary, we were talking, and Avery came in, and and as I turned to walk back up, Avery's like, who's that? And I said, well, that's Scott. He was a special speaker. He preached here this morning. And Avery looked at me and said, is he better than you? And I said, I said no, son. Come on. No, that's not what I said. I said, I don't know, son. It's not a competition. We're not not being ranked. (laughs) I said, we both talk about Jesus. That's all that matters. But that's what was happening here. You had people that, that, that was looking for a way to promote themselves at the expense of Paul being in prison. In other words, they didn't just want to win. They wanted Paul to lose. And you'll see this among a lot of ministries. There's a lot of ministries that are more concerned about what the church down the road is doing. How many numbers do we have? How many numbers do they have? How can we steal people from that sanctuary? How can we get people to come to our church instead of your church? There are churches that actually are hoping that we fail because they want to look better. I'm not saying us necessarily in Living Faith Church, but there are churches that are actually more concerned about other churches not making it simply so they can be promoted. 
Paul was like, listen, I'm not concerned about my image. I'm not concerned about their image. All I'm concerned about is the gospel. Paul didn't care about any of this. I don't care. If they're better preachers than I am, congratulations. If they can proclaim the gospel better than me, then go for it. But at least they're out there. It's like the woman who told Billy Sunday, you shouldn't be a preacher. Your grammar's not very good, which is not good grammar either. And she, he looked at the woman and said, well, at least I'm using my grammar for the Lord. Right? So we, we recognize that it's not, it's not our image that matters. It's not the name of Living Faith Church that matters. It's the furtherance and the advancement of the gospel. I'm not jealous of revivals in other places. I'm not jealous of moves of God in other churches or among other ministries. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're believing for. We are the body of Christ. He was in it because he was committed to Jesus and the message of the gospel. He didn't need his name in lights. He didn't need a congratulation. He didn't need a pat on the back. He didn't need people out there talking about Paul because Paul saves nobody. But Jesus does. See, when ministers and ministries get more concerned about numbers or how big they are or how much influence they have or how they compare to so-and-so down the street, then they've lost sight of the true call of God upon their ministry and of what they've been called to do. The only reason why I concern myself about numbers in the congregation is that if more people are here, more people are hearing about Jesus. And I want more people to be in churches that are preaching the gospel. I don't, that's why I don't think it's good advice to just go find you a church and attend there. Well, what if the church is no good? What if they're not preaching the gospel? What if they don't believe in the power of God or salvation or repentance? Don't just go anywhere. Go where the gospel is furthered. Go where the gospel is advanced. That was Paul's priority. And so as I close here this morning, we learn from Paul's life that first of all, Following Jesus does not always mean a bed of roses. Jesus said himself that if they hated me, they'll hate my followers. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. That's why the Bible says beware when everybody speaks good of you. Right? If you're following Jesus, it's going to cause controversy. If it doesn't, you're probably not following him. But we also learn from Paul's life that circumstances do not have to touch our faith. And that the greatest advancement of God's purpose may come during times of adversity. I want to say that again. The greatest advancement of God's purpose in your life may come during times of adversity. We may find that we learn to be more effective and more fruitful than ever when the heat is on. So let this be a possible wake-up call for what we as Christians will face in this chaotic culture. It is those, Jesus said, it is those that endure to the end that will be saved. Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Not everybody's going to make it. Not everybody that's sitting in the pews, not everybody who's named the name of Christ is going to make it. They that endure to the end. The same shall be saved. So what must we do? We must be diligent in adversity. Because if it hasn't come, it will. The devil wants your faith. And the world is not going to cheer you on. The devil wants your faith. And the world's not going to cheer you on. 
So what we have to believe is that God will still advance his purpose no matter what lies ahead. No matter what's before me. No matter what devil rises up against me. No matter what lie or problem or issue. No matter what our culture does or what they say defines us as Christians. We believe that God is going to advance his purpose. Because nothing can stop the power of the gospel. Nothing can stop the power of the purpose of God. God will fulfill his purpose. I promise you that. He told the Philippians in chapter 6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus that in spite of adversity, in spite of hard times, Lord, you are advancing your purpose. You are advancing your purpose in this earth, and you are advancing your purpose in your church, and you are advancing your purpose in our individual lives. We believe that. We believe, God, that your gospel should be our priority. We believe, O oh Lord, that your call upon our life should be our priority. We know that troubles are going to come. We know that adversity is going to come. We know that your word says that in the last days that, that it's going to get hard and it's going, to, it's going to wax worse and worse. We understand that. We understand that in our chaotic, crazy culture, we're not going to be cheered on when we make the decision to walk in holiness or to walk in the boldness and the courage of the gospel. So give us the strength of Paul to rejoice even in adverse circumstances, to rejoice that the gospel is being advanced, that as long as we continue to be lights in a dark world, God, you will take care of the rest. We will not leave quietly. And so we are grateful in the name of Jesus that you have empowered us as the church to move forward in the midst of adversity.